Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today's episode is all about how the advertising world has made us believe in the past that sugar is good, it's necessary, it's even a way to lose weight. I mean, that was back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. But even today, the food industry has done a great job with all their millions of dollars in trying to convince us consumers that sugar is a desirable element in our everyday diet. This is a subject that fascinates me. And funnily enough, it was also something that a listener asked me to talk about recently. So I'll be talking about that today in just a minute. And this week's episode is brought to you by the After Sugar Club, which is where you'll get the step-by-step guidance you need from me to help you let go of sugar and the emotional hold it has on you so that you can get to a place of freedom where you don't even need, want or miss it anymore. So that you can break free from sugar for good and make your intermittent fasting lifestyle easy and natural. That's AfterSugarClub.com and click on the green button, join the club. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. And if you've listened to several episodes before and you haven't yet left a review, could I ask you to scroll down please and rate the podcast and leave a lovely review to tell me how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Has it inspired you to reduce sugar? Has it made you think about sugar a little bit differently? I love reading your reviews. Thank you. And if you're an intermittent faster, then I have five tips for you to help you get rid of cravings that may be getting in the way of you living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. Go to AfterSugarClub.com and download my five tips there. All right, let's talk about the influence of advertising on sugar. So from about the early 1950s until the 1970s, sugar was marketed as a healthy substance that would curb hunger and provide an energy boost. And there was even a pro-sugar ad that appeared in August 1964 in Time magazine that gave a note to mothers, and I quote, explaining that drinks without sugar wouldn't provide children with the necessary energy to get through the day's activities. Now, this form of advertising began in the 1950s when health researchers were spreading the news that sugar was connected to weight gain. As a response to this negative news, the sugar industry upped its advertising budget. 
and in 1955, the Sugar Association even won an award for advertising in the public interest. Diet sodas became popular in the mid-1960s and the sugar industry began to fight back. In fact, what they were telling us about diet drinks was that the beverages would not help consumers lose weight because synthetic sugar was not energising and satisfying the way that full sugar is. That's their words, not mine. In fact, the pro-sugar advertising campaign was in large part based on a health concept called Apistat, which was defined by a nutritionist in New York City for a weight loss book back in 1952. And this concept of Apistat explained that, and I quote, an individual's appetite-regulating mechanism could leave him or her unsatisfied after meals making the person more likely to overeat. Sugar was believed to be able to turn down the apostat while providing the body with energy. Now, that wasn't true back in the 50s, and it's still not true today. It's just that as consumers, we have access to a lot more information now, even though it's not always easy for us to wade through all the confusing and sometimes contradictory information out there. But there's a very interesting book about appetite correction by Bert Herring, MD, that I really do recommend. Because as a former Navy Marine Corps medical officer and NIH researcher, Bert Herring made a landmark appetite correction discovery back in 1995 that led him to write this book, AC, The Power of Appetite Correction. And surprise, surprise... It also talks about sugar. In fact, he busts the myth that the only way to maintain weight loss is to be hungry all the time. He says that we don't need products or pills that will suppress hunger. We already have an appetite correction mechanism naturally as part of our biology. Now, I can do a whole podcast episode about this one subject, but I'll get back to advertising now And just repeat my recommendation for you to read Bert Herring's book, AC, The Power of Appetite Correction. So I don't know if you've seen examples of some of the ads from the 50s and 60s about sugar. Like, for example, have a soft drink before your meal. With the headline, sugar just might be the willpower you need to curb your appetite. Obviously paid for by the sugar industry, or another ad that sugar is nature's essential element. And I read from the ad here, sugar-less fad foods and so-called diet drinks deprive you of sugar's nutrition, energy, natural flavour and taste blending, a combination for which there is no substitute. And the health claim? Sugar is a vital factor in a healthy diet. Of course, if I squint and look really closely, oh, I can see that this ad comes from the Great Western Sugar Company. What a surprise! In fact, the food industry and sugar companies used all kinds of ruses and linguistic gymnastics to make sure that their methods of marketing sugary products included words associated with health, such as healthy, natural, 
naturally sweetened and lightly sweetened, using associations with fruit to imply healthiness and positioning sugary drinks and foods as a freedom of choice issue rather than a public health one. Of course, things have totally changed today, right? And other tricks that the sugar industry got up to was using shill advertising, which is basically when someone who works for a business or a company pretends not to in order to seem like a reliable source, including people presenting themselves as independent scientists. And by the end of 1971, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, in the United States put a stop to these sugar advertisements, citing that even though the ads suggested that eating real sugar meant consuming fewer calories, that wasn't accurate information. And this is also during the time that the FTC started asking advertisers to supply proof of their claims. What an original idea! Now, I don't know where you are in the world while you're listening to this podcast, but as you can hear, I'm originally from the UK and my grandparents were in London during the Second World War. And as you probably know, sugar was rationed then, not just in the UK, but in the US and in other countries too. So those who lived through the Second World War, or just after, knew what it meant to have rations. But did you know that the US Army, for example, provided its soldiers with more than twice the amount of sugar they had consumed as civilians? And still the GIs craved more. A Navy study reported that when servicemen bought food to supplement their rations, 40% of their purchases were for candy. Why do I mention this? Well, before rationing, Americans consumed on average about one pound of sugar every week. But on April 27, 1942, all sales of sugar in the US were halted. Grocers began selling sugar again on May 5th, but only to customers who presented their new war ration books. Every American, adults as well as children, received a ration book so parents didn't have to take from their rations to feed their children. So not only did Americans and people in other countries, like the UK, learn to get by on less sugar, they endured the shortage for five years, including 22 months after the war ended. Well, you can imagine what that did to the sugar industry. During the war, advertisers began promoting sugar-free recipes to help meet sugar shortages. And then ads for sugar substitutes like dextrose began to appear during the 40s. For example, there was a 1940 colour two-page print ad for dextrose sugar from the Corn Products Refining Company in the UK showing the dextrose sugar baby. And after the end of the Second World War, the British Labour government threatened to nationalise sugar refining as part of its overall effort to build a social democratic economy. But the sugar industry's reaction was that it quickly moved much of its sugar refining to the British Empire countries, especially the sugar islands of Jamaica and Trinidad and later to British colonies in Africa. In fact, one of the most successful PR campaigns in Britain was Tate and Lyle's campaign that employed the phrase Tate, not State, 
which it printed on sugar packets, packages, toys and advertising at home. In fact, this campaign also became a model for other industries that wanted to fight socialism in the colonies. And thus, the sugar industry became a major voice of capitalism during decolonization and even through the Cold War. I just want to take a quick break to introduce you to my partner for this podcast, Medicine with Heart, which is an international functional medicine clinic specializing in difficult chronic cases of hormone imbalance, Lyme disease, mold illness, and digestive dysfunction. You can sign up for a consultation with their team to see if they can help reverse your disease. Find out more about them at medicinewithheart.com. Have you ever heard of the Sugar Association? It's a trade group that represents makers and marketers of sugar and its role is to urge consumers to buy and consume sugar. And of course, before online advertising, this happened through print campaigns. The Sugar Association is based in Washington in the US. Of course, more recently, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding sugar and it's been shown by many health advocacy organizations and studies that sugar is definitely unhealthy and that sugar advertising is deceptive. So the sugar industry and its advertisers need to be even sneakier than before. They need to make sure that the image of sugar emphasized how pure and natural it is. And also to dispel several of what the Sugar Association believes were misconceptions about sugar. For instance, where calories are concerned, fat has more calories per gram, 9 calories per gram, than sugar does at 4 calories per gram. But the Sugar Association pointed out that there's no health warning on sugar because there's no direct link that's been scientifically established to disorders like diabetes or obesity being linked with sugar. Hmm. The Sugar Association doesn't think that their ads are deceptive because their wording is technically factual. But opinion polls indicate that consumers have way more worries about sugar than they do about artificial sweeteners like saccharin and aspartame, also marketed under the brand name NutraSweet, even though both of these substances do carry health warning labels. Alright, so what about advertising and health claims for other types of sweeteners that have come on the market recently with the keto diet, or should I say lifestyle? Sweeteners such as stevia, xylitol, erythritol, monk fruit, all of those. If we take stevia sweeteners as an example, they've been considered G-R-A-S in the United States since 2008. G-R-A-S is an acronym that means generally recognized as safe. And food ingredients permitted for use in the USA fall into one of two categories, food additives, which require review prior to approval from the FDA, and generally recognized as safe or G-R-A-S ingredients. So what about the advertising for these types of sweeteners? 
Well, because the keto diet is pretty trendy right now, obviously the food marketers and the food industry are doing whatever they can to promote their products as being keto friendly. And one of the marketing strategies is to display official sounding keto certifications on their packaging. So these healthy sounding icons might lead uninformed consumers to buy items with keto certified or certified ketogenic or keto approved emblazoned on the packaging or just keto friendly rather than any other similar item without the keto seal of approval. And of course, products with a keto certification may seem more healthy, but at the end of the day, they still have labels and packaging, which is far more to do with marketing hype than, well, real foods that don't have or need packaging and marketing. So even though the 2020-2025 dietary guidelines for Americans state that individuals over the age of two years old should limit their added sugar intake to 10% of their total daily calories, which in my humble opinion should go right down to zero, well, the truth is that the average intake of added sugars is way higher than that. So consumers, as well as the sugar industry and the sweetener industry, are paying more attention now to sugar content on labels than ever before. And one side effect of this is that demand for sweetener alternatives is at an all-time high, which again, in my humble opinion, just proves that sweetness is still in demand. And where there is consumer demand, the food industry is happy to step in. In fact, data shows that across all natural and conventional sweeteners, Dollar sales of products containing monk fruit went up 20%, stevia went up 15%, and sugar alcohols went up 3% during a 52-week period that ended on January 31st, 2022. And data's also shown that more shoppers have adopted diets such as keto and Whole30 that eliminate high-sugar products and focus more on proteins and unprocessed foods. And yet in the most mature top-selling categories, keto items have grown steadily over a year-to-year basis. And again, data's shown that the highest-selling products are shelf-stable soda and carbonated beverages, as well as refrigerated creams and creamers. All keto, all highly processed, and all pretty sweet. The thing is that the move away from added sugars sounds simple enough, but there are dozens of other types of sweeteners and more and more products that contain them are coming onto the market. Consumers don't always know that they're opting for a specific ingredient over another. They just know that they want to avoid sugar. And that gives quite an advantage to the food industry's marketing and advertising approaches. I mean, just search for keto on Amazon or Google and you'll find thousands of keto-friendly products, including supplements and shake mixes. So, of course, if keto companies want to stand out and connect with us consumers, 
They need to make it super clear what they're selling and how much better it is for you than regular processed products with regular sugar. The advantage of regular prepared foods is that they save time for consumers. So if keto products can also show that they save time for consumers that may not have time to cook at home, then they can market their product that way. Or the keto marketing can show almond flour cookies or low-carb cooking stables such as cauliflower rice so that consumers can choose them instead. I mean, you can't really deny that sweetness such as stevia and monk fruit are better than white sugar, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good for you. And all the marketing and advertising in the world can't stop you from falling into the sweetener trap, which is basically that eating sweet-tasting foods and drinks may be a trigger for a lot of us for more sweet-tasting treats. You could say the same for salty and crunchy foods as well. And really, all of these types of foods are still processed by the food industry, even if they have the word natural on the packaging. Look at Truvia, for example. I mean, it's made with just three ingredients, and one of them is natural. The three ingredients are stevia leaf extract. Notice it's not just stevia leaf. It's the extract plus erythritol and natural flavors. And I've read up about these natural flavors. There's really nothing much natural about them. I mean, if you want to really push this to its extreme, you could say that sugar is from a natural source because it comes from the sugar cane or the sugar beet. It's not so much what source it comes from as what's been done to the product since its natural beginnings. So my take, and you don't have to agree with me, but my take is that these low-carb sweeteners that are typically added to keto products, well, they mimic or replace items that the keto diet eliminates in the first place. So sugary soft drinks, cakes, muffins, pastries, ice cream, candy, energy bars, even keto kombucha. Yes, you're taking away the sugar, but you're still maintaining the taste for sweetness. And the keto marketing department knows that will sell. Don't get me wrong, I have nothing against marketing and advertising, but what I believe is that we consumers have our personal power and our buying power to decide what we buy at the grocery store and what we don't buy and which marketing ploys we agree with and buy into and which ones we don't. So the next time you're at the grocery store, buyer beware or rather be aware of the health claims on packaging, of these buzzwords on the front of a package that often hide dubious ingredients on the back of the packaging and also be aware of attractive advertising with words such as natural or keto or sugar-free or whatever is designed to get you to buy stuff. And you know what? Real foods are quiet. They don't need health claims because they are naturally 
healthy. So go where it's quiet in the grocery store. That's where you'll find real whole foods that will nourish you from the inside rather than needing colourful and loud marketing from the outside. And if you want some more information and free resources about how to find these quiet, real whole foods and what they are, then head on over to my website aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab what to eat. You'll find three videos there, one about whole foods that don't contain added sugars, one video about how to find them at the grocery store and a third video about what's the deal with fermented foods because they can also be the victim of marketing ploys by the food industry. That's aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab what to eat. You can also grab my list of top 10 books about sugar, intermittent fasting and gut health because you know knowledge is power and I don't want you to spend the hundreds of hours that I spent reading through dozens of books so that's why I want to give you my list of top 10 books and even if you only read one or two of them it'll make a huge difference in how you see sugar, intermittent fasting and gut health and you can download that list at aftersugarclub.com and click on the orange learn more button. You can also find lots of free resources on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, on the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram which is at mylifeaftersugar where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do and sometimes pictures of our cat <laughs> so that you can see that it is totally possible to live an active, happy and fun life even if you don't eat sugar. And for a deeper dive into your relationship with sugar and how you can work towards freeing yourself from the hold that sugar has on you so that you can get to that place of joyful freedom from sugar that I've been living for almost seven years and experience what it feels like not to want, need or even miss sugar anymore, then the After Sugar Club is for you. Check it out at aftersugarclub.com And if you're enjoying this podcast, then could I ask you to please scroll down and leave the podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a short review to let me know how this podcast is inspiring you to break free from sugar your way and find the real sweetness in life. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.